This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. One half of Manchester is red. The other half is blue. This week, the Clarets faced both. This is the Known and Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to the Known and Ever podcast and we are recording immediate post-match reaction to Burnley's draw away at United. Third season in a row that we have been undefeated at Old Trafford but oh my god the second season on a bounce that we have thrown away a two-goal lead. Absolutely heartbreaking at the end there. Um, You kind of knew it when um, United got a penalty at 2-1 that this was coming didn't you? You just knew that uh, we weren't going to hang on and to be honest by the time they I was throwing up thinking that they've got enough time to get a winner here. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to need to have a look at the penalty again because it, it kind of looks like Hendrick's just been ridiculous there and I don't really know what he was thinking about giving that penalty but then there's other angles that are suggesting that it was pretty soft. Um, but I, I'll have a look uh, and we'll, we'll discuss that when we get back onto the podcast um, in the next couple of days. But um, it's a bit of a weird one really because... I've said this before, the game, I really fancied us to get us something out of this game because they always seem to get something out of Old Trafford. They always seem to really up their performance and they always perform well. Tom Heaton again was absolutely incredible. James Tarkovsky was just the man of the match by a country mile. Um, that lad is, may very well not be with us by the end of the season if he carries on the way that he is doing. Um, Ashley Barnes, the, the handful that we know he is and Chris Wood finally beating the offside track and getting a goal. Um, all good, all really positive. Um, that's five games now in the in the league that were unbeaten and I think if that's right that's four points away from the relegation zone which is kind of gutting really because um, we would have been six points clear and that would have been a really viable cushion if we'd have managed to hang on for the win but you know it's, it's a point more than we thought we were going to get um, and actually that ended up being really important given some of the real results that have gone our way with Fulham winning and Newcastle winning as well at City weirdly um, so you know, let's not be too concerned about that that's a really good point <sighs> going to go and try not to be too upset by and treat it as um, a point gained rather than th- two points lost um, so we'll get back into the um, studio and we'll talk about this more but in the meantime I'm going to leave you with Robbie who's going to give you his full time thoughts So I just got back into my flat after Burnley oh, it still hurts to say 
could only get a point from Old Trafford. And it all looked like we were going to bring home three points, 2-0 up with less than 10 minutes to play. And we just couldn't hold on. We were out, absolutely outstanding for 90 minutes. Every single player, 10 out of 10. Um, but was one lapse in concentration, I think it was Jeff Hendrick who gave away the penalty. It just seemed to galvanise Man United in the home crowd. And as soon as the penalty went in, you just knew that they were going to nick a point. And then at the end, we were really hanging on to get a point. It actually feels like a, a, I would have snapped my hand off before the game, but... Full-time whistle blows is a, a real mixture of emotion on the pitch. Burnley players genuinely had tears in their eyes. They were absolutely gutted. And they also had Man United players on the floor because they couldn't find that winner. But when that second goal goes in, it's absolutely pending what absolutely limbs in the away end. And you 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 may be thinking that you're going to witness Burnley go to, to a famous three points. Absolutely gutted. Um... Performers, Tom Heaton, one absolute worldly save in the second half to deny, I think it was Lukaku, he looked like he were wrong-footed and he managed to get his left hand to tip it around the post. We started the game really positively, there wasn't many negatives at all, it's just literally the last five minutes where we just couldn't hold on. But that is a great response after after such a poor performance at the weekend against Manchester City, it's the perfect response and you do sort of feel now that this team is what we've been seeing for the last four or five years under Sean Dyche's back. Um, it's a great confidence to go take into a six-pointer against Southampton on Saturday. Uh, I just hope that we can actually get three points on Saturday and use this bonus point and really kick on for the rest of the season. Hopefully I'll uh, see you, chat to you all in more depth on Monday. But yeah, Manchester United 2, Burnley 2. And there we have it. We have immediate post-match reaction to an absolutely rollercoaster of emotions away at Old Trafford. We have all sorts to talk about this week. I am back now in studio mode after just about coming back down to earth from that result at Old Trafford, um, which followed a very difficult result away at City. Um, so we've got lots to talk about. And, and, and this week, we're going to analyse more that um, a trip to Manchester where we had the, the trauma of losing and being dumped out of the FA Cup in some quite spectacular fashion to the hands of the Premier League champions, but then went away in the Premier League to a, a rejuvenated United side and managed to claw a fantastic um, point away from home. But before we get into that, I'm joined. I've binned Robbie off. Actually, I haven't binned Robbie off. Robbie's disappeared again. He's given us his immediate reaction to the United game and then he's not on the show again. I'm genuinely starting to think he might have quit. Robbie, don't quit. Come back. But, but in his place, I'm joined by, as ever, the wonderful Statman Dave. Dave, good evening. Good evening, Natalie. And hi, how are we? I'm well. Yeah, I'm still uh, still trying to come to terms with uh, the last uh, five minutes at Old Trafford from last night. But we'll uh, I'll, I'll have my hold it in. I'll have my therapy shortly. <laughs> hold it in, Dave. We'll be fine. We'll talk about it in a minute. And I'm also delighted to be joined this week by a very special guest, Richard Steele, Burnley fan, who is joining us to talk about this week's activities. Richard, good evening. Good evening, Natalie. How are you? I am good, thank you. Welcome to the show. It's very nice to have you on. Yeah, thank you very much. I've been a listener to the show for a long time, so we're excited to be on. Excellent. So how long have you been a claret? Tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Yeah, so I'm 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 actually from Wigan, uh, brought up in Wigan, still live in Wigan now. And the reason I support Burnley is uh, through my granddad. He actually um, went to Turf Moor in the 1950s uh, with a friend of his from his national service. Obviously, got hooked on the, on Burnley like a lot of us do. Uh, passed it down to my dad, my aunties, and my uncles, and it's just been passed down to me. And then I think when you get the Claret Bug, I don't think there's any I don't think there's any turning back. And I think what really uh, hooked it for me, my first away game was at Valley Parade when Burnley beat uh, Bradford 3-2 and Glenn Little scored twice and uh, I think Tony Ellis got the winner and ever since then, yeah, uh, to the dismay of my fiance, I've uh, been hooked going home and away games ever since. That's the best story ever, a Wiganer who then decides to come all the way to Burnley. That just begs one fundamentally important question, Richard, which has to be ironed out before we go any further this week. Yeah. Wigan is very famous for its pies. Surely they're not as good as a Holland's meat and potato. That's the one thing I I, I would say Bur- uh, Wigan's better at than Burnley. <gasps> I'd have to agree on that. Sorry about that. I wish you'd have told me this before I should come on the show. Cause this might have been a deal breaker. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. Don't worry. Um, so where can our listeners find you, Richard? Tell us, tell us where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, so my Twitter handle is uh, steely underscore BFC. So that's spelled S-T-E-E-L-E-Y underscore BFC. Um, it's mainly ranting about Burnley. A couple of things on cricket there as well, which I'm a, which I'm a big fan of. And I don't really understand why anyone would follow me if they don't like sport, really. But yeah, that's where you can find me on Twitter. I do have that same thing, actually, in that I often wonder why people follow me on Twitter. If I've got quite a lot of followers who don't like either Burnley Football Club or poker. And they're the only two things that I ever tweet about. So I'm genuinely quite confused, really, as to why people tweet me. But nonetheless, well, it's very good to have you, Richard. And let's start by talking about the Clarets. So... We have had a difficult week. We have had to go away initially to City in the FA Cup. And that is where I'm going to start this week. Let's leave United for a time being and let's start with City because that was um, a challenge. <laughs> for the second season running, Burnley got drawn away at the... Uh, oh, my God, I've had a complete main... What's, what's it called? It's not the Emirates, that's Arsenal. Etihad. Etihad. <gasps> oh, thanks, Dave. <laughs> Do you know, I had one of those moments then where I suddenly went, I have no idea what City's ground is called. That's This is a good start to the show. I like this. Uh, we did second season running, drawn away at the Etihad, which kind of put a complete fate stopper on any chances of us progressing in the FA Cup this season. So, Dave, we knew it was going to be tough. And we knew that Pep would put out a strong side. There really wasn't any justification for quite that standard of side that he put out in that starting lineup, though, was there? Um, yeah, they certainly took the match seriously. The, uh, the, the, there were thoughts that maybe they might try one or two youth players um, coming into the team or certainly into the squad. They didn't. You looked at the uh, players they had available on the bench and it was uh, a really, well, really, really strong 11 and a really strong uh, 18 as well. So um, with Burnley having made, I think, seven changes in total for the game, it was always going to be a little bit of an uphill battle. I, I thought Burnley did uh, reasonably well to begin with. We we um, started off well in the first half. Nick Pope looked solid in goal um, and we got to half-time and it was um, a reasonable performance and Burnley were in the game, but uh, it went a little bit downhill after that. Yeah, it really did. Um, 
So we know that obviously Pep wants to just win everything. He's a little bit greedy as a manager that way, and that's probably indicative of the starting lineup that he made. But obviously that was a stark contrast, Richard, to the side that Burnley put out. A very much weakened side, as expected. Dyche has said before the game that he wanted to um, rest some players who'd been working hard in the league and actually take a very selfish attitude and allow some of his... Um, returning players in the first team some minutes under their belt, people like uh, Ward and Defoe and Nick Pope. We knew then that was just going to be the end of it in terms of an FA Cup run, but do you agree with his approach there? I think with this season's approach, I think with us you know, struggling at the bottom, I think survival is the key, unfortunately. So I don't really blame him for doing it. Um, and uh, alternatively, if he did play a stronger eleven, you know, you so like you played Tarkovsky and me at the back, full team Westwood Cork, who's been playing a lot of games and they got injured. I think there would have been questions asked. But on the other hand, it would have been nice to have a cut run. I think it's just a shame in the last couple of seasons uh, that we've drew City away from home and you're thinking, you know, where's your, where's your, where's your look at? And you look at the draw now and, on, and I think I heard a comment then saying it's likely that only two of the top six are going to be in the quarterfinals. So if the draw could have been a, a little bit better... Um, you know, we could have maybe had a chance of progressing. But to summarise the question, I think he did the right thing in the end, you know, resting the plays and kind of writing it off and saying, you know, we'll concentrate on the on the league and the game at United. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I certainly wouldn't have had any um, problems at all. Uh, if, if Well, sorry, I would have had problems if he'd have played some really key players who then got injured or suspended in any way. Um, sticking with you, though, Richard, I think you, you, you talked then about... Um, the, I guess, the progression in the cup and the concentration on, on the league this season. Um, do you think that if we'd have managed to get a few more points in the league this season and have actually, I guess, um, been able to take the cup a bit more seriously, do you really think it would have still been a, a valid point to, and I guess a justifiable decision to play the first team, bearing in mind it is City. You know, at the end of the day, Burnley could play their first team, as we saw in the league, and still get beat by City. So in that sense, is even if we'd have been concentrating on the, on the Cup, would there have been really any point? Yeah, I, I, personally, I think if you go back to where we was this time last season, or if we was comfortable in mid-table and a no real threat of going down, I think it I would have liked the dice to play the, the full 11 because I think there would there would be nothing better than to see us progressing in the cup and ultimately I know it quite sounds quite sinister but eventually on this run are we going to get relegated anyway so um, you know to maybe get a cup win or a, or a cup final under the belt I think something that would last with you forever um, I know going back to what I was saying about being from Wigan and a lot of my best friends are Wigan season ticket holders and in the season they won the FA Cup they got relegated from the Premier League and they've not been back since um, but I don't think they would, they wouldn't swap that um, you know to to still be in the Premier League so I think yeah going back to your question if we was in the position where we was we was comfortable in the league I would like Dice to play his full team even though we probably would have a good chance of going out but just to give City more of a test that's a good point, actually. And I think at the end of the day, the more times that our first choice starting eleven can play the elite six teams in this division, and that's only going to help them in terms of experience and getting stronger, um, to, I guess, to carry on with the Premier League. Um, Dave, we've obviously talked about the, the performance itself. It was very much an under-par performance by a side that hasn't played together that well and a lot of players who are coming back from injury. 
One particular player who has been singled out for having a little bit of a, of a mare is, is good old Kevin Long. Um, conceded a penalty and an own goal as well. Uh, so he was kind of responsible for two two of, of City's five. Now, I've been very reluctant to pass any criticism to Kevin Long just on the basis that he tends to be the whipping boy of, of the team. Um, a lot of people who do, um, you know, very much love Ben Me and James Tarkovsky are very quick to jump on on Kevin Long. But I think more importantly, I think he's been really good recently and he's had some really comfortable games where he's deputised for injuries or suspensions really, really well. Um, we don't really know that much about his character, but... Do you worry that maybe, I guess, number one, it's it's maybe the end of his of his Burnley career in terms of, of being able to fight for a first-team place or potentially ruin his confidence a little bit? Um, I'm not sure either of those uh, apply particularly. Well, at least I hope they wouldn't do, just on the basis of, uh, of that one performance. Um, I think for previous games, he's been very reliable for Burnley. As you said, he's, he's come into games, he's stepped, stepped in um, when he hasn't had a lot of game time and done uh, done really well. Um, he didn't have the best game at Manchester City, particularly in the second half. And there's, uh, yeah, the, the own goal, he couldn't really have done too much about that one. But then uh, also the confusion for giving the penalty away as well. Um, and then the, the interesting thing uh, going on from that was that um, in terms of a bench that was named for the Manchester United game, he wasn't on there. We'd, we'd named two defenders on the bench. We had Stephen Ward um, and also uh, Ben Gibson. So I don't know whether that's maybe... Um, in Sean Dyche, I mean, we don't know. There could have been a knock or thing else. We, we don't know what the thinking is there, but maybe Ben Gibson has gone up the pecking order and, and he's always going to be the one on there. But um, I guess we might get a better feel of that over the next couple of games when we see who's in the uh, Burnley starting eleven, and more importantly, who's on the uh, on the bench as well. Yeah, true. I think most people now expect that Ben Gibson is is third choice, and and actually, if if James Tarkovsky's performances carry on the way they have been, he might even get brought up to second choice behind Ben Me if we end up losing Tarkovsky at the end of the season, which I don't really want to think about right now, but but may well be be relevant soon. Um, Richard. We've played two Manchester sides this week and, and the, the results and I guess the performances could not have been more distinctly different. I can't really put my finger on it. Two Manchester sides, both in the top six, both with incredible histories, uh, United being a massive global brand um, traditionally and City being a new global brand in terms of, of Pep's side. Why on earth do we struggle so much away at City but massively raise our game and, and where the results might not match, put in some fantastic performances at Old Trafford. I don't understand. Yeah, it's, it's a good point, Natalie. I think even though, you know, the two still very big clubs and top six clubs, I still think Man City are stronger than Man United at the moment, even though United's been on this good run. I think one thing that I've found about watching City and going watching them live, especially at the Etihad, is just how big they make the pitch. Um, they always seem to get the um, you know the width, the wide men get wide, whether it's Sane or Sterling. And I think they're just so dangerous of overloading the play, getting the full-backs forward, whether that be like Walker, Mendy, Danilo. Um, and I just think we seem to maybe you know struggle with their style of play a, li- a little bit more than United's were. I thought United last night, especially when they had Lukaku on, uh, their main option was to get it out wide to the full-backs, especially Ash- Ashley Young down the right, and to, and to cross it into the box. And I think we're pretty comfortable at defending that. Where I think City's movement's a little bit more intricate, um, you know, and 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 and, and, and I just think the quality of the players they've got overall on the pitch, like to David Silva, Bernardo Silva, De Bruyne, Fernandinho, Aguero, the strength they've got off the de- off the bench. 
it's just that little, little, little bit more quality than United, and, have, and I think that's ultimately why you know why we do struggle a, a bit more against City. That's really interesting, actually. I've never really thought of it from that way, and, and I forget sometimes that there are differences in sizings and the shape of pictures because there is that grace afforded by Premier League as to, to exactly what your specifications can be within the parameters that they set. And it, I always forget sometimes that that sides do have different different scope. Um, Dave, do you kind of agree with that, or do you think there's something more? Um, in terms in terms of uh, United, yeah, we certainly have the last uh, three seasons when we visited there, we've uh, we've upped our game and. Probably you, you say we, we should have come away with uh, with a couple of wins out of those games, but um, not to say we haven't had our times at City. But um, that's going back a few seasons now. We had uh, under Owen Coyle, we had a, a, a three all draw there. I think that was the uh, before we beat Hull City. That was the only point we had away from home that season. And then a little bit more recently, we had the one where we were um, uh, two nil down at half time, came back. And drew two two. Ashley Barnes had scored a, a, a screamer, uh, a, which was a second goal, the equalising goal against City as well. So we've had our moments there, but certainly I think the last uh, three, maybe four seasons, they've gone on and progressed, whereas United have maybe gone backwards a little bit. Um, and they, you know, Manchester City are a, a different prospect altogether. Of all the teams I've seen, that's including Liverpool, who were. Probably uh, favourites for the for the title now. Manchester City are are the the premier side. I think the one the ones to beat, um, and it's a really really tough game playing them home or away. Not to say that they they can't slip up and drop points as as we've seen uh, once or twice already this season, um, but I think on their day they are um, the ones to the ones to beat the the, the premier side in there. Uh, in the league, and I think ahead of Liverpool, that's not to say that Liverpool won't go all the way this season, but I think we've got more to see from City as the season goes on. They're, they're going to be a real uh, a real challenge as well. They really are, and I'm absolutely fascinated to see how this Premier League title race is going this season. I mean, I love this City side. They're beautiful to watch when they're not playing us and thumping five goals past our keepers. But as a general point, they are a fantastic um, entertainment value, I guess, in, in terms of football. Um, but I am kind of pleased that it isn't a, a one-horse race again, because last season it was a little bit boring because they kind of got it sewn up that early that it became irrelevant and everybody else was just fighting over Champions League places. So it is really good that we've at least got a two-horse race. But I just, I, I can't honestly believe that this might be the year that Liverpool may actually win the Premier League. It's fascinating to see how they're going to deal with the pressure and how they're going to deal with with getting themselves over the line. I can't wait to see how that happens. Um, I don't really want to dwell anymore on the City game because it was kind of what it was. We had a difficult afternoon. They wanted to win the Cup, so put on that strong side. And I think one of the things that we all talked about before we went into the City game was that we needed to almost get it over and done with because we had... um, a Premier League away tie last night at Old Trafford. And more importantly, we have a survival um, relegation battle down uh, at Turf Moor against Southampton on Saturday. And actually to the point where the fans were all saying, let's just get the two Manchester games out of the way. Let's try not to get beat 5-0 at Old Trafford. Let's try and keep it a little bit lower. But in the whole, let's, on the whole, sorry, let's just get both games out of the way and concentrate on getting some points against Southampton. As it turned out, we needn't have worried because, as we've already heard at the outset of this podcast, we got ourselves a point. Richard, point gained or two points dropped? Well, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Like, I was speaking to my dad before the game and I was saying, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if we just managed to get a point here? You know, we Cardiff playing away at, 
you know, playing away at Arsenal, um, we could potentially go four points above the relegation zone, which we did end up doing. But to get so close, two seasons in a, in a row now, I was gutted last year when Lingard start, scored. And a bit similar to what Dave said before, I'm just about coming to terms with it now. Uh, but at 10 o'clock last night, I was, I was absolutely fuming, I, I've got to be honest. So for me, it felt like two points dropped, especially because I felt after we scored that second goal, the atmosphere went flat. They seemed to run out of ideas. And, and, we, and we looked pretty comfortable defending. Tarkovsky and me were excellent. They were defend, uh, heading everything away. We had a good shield in front of them with the midfield. Um, and then for me, we give away a bit of a, a bit of a silly penalty and let them get back in the game. And then the crowd lifted again. And yeah, a bit of a disappointing equaliser to concede. I felt you're, you're looking at it again. And we was like three on one against at the back post. Um, so I think we must have got our markings a, a little bit wrong there. But yeah, for me, before the game, a point's brilliant. But in those circumstances, it was bitterly disappointing to not get all three. Yeah, it really was. I mean, you, you touched on it there about about the performance, and then you said in the in the opening stages of this week's show that you'd given all the players ten out of ten. Um, it was an incredible performance by all of our boys, and, and, and one great quote that I think was in the Telegraph, maybe, was it was a disciplined and industrious performance by Burnley. I mean, Richard, what is it about Old Trafford that just enables our boys to go out there with their heads held high and raise their level of the game to the extent that they do? Uh, I think I think it's a couple of different factors. I think maybe the style that we play um, can challenge United a little bit more. I think particularly like Lindelof and Jones and the back four, they're not the most physical. So when we do play a little bit more direct, uh, we can we can cause them problems. Um, and then alternatively, I, I don't know, maybe it's a psychological factor. We know we've had a few bad results at City the last couple of seasons, so you know you may be going there thinking it's going to be difficult today. We're at United, you've got a bit of confidence, firstly from that nil-nil, then last season, then going into this game, where you think, yeah, we can, we can, we can get something here, and we can cause United a few problems. Um, so yeah, I think that's the main reasons um, myself. Dave, I think one of the the biggest increases in in performance and confidence levels were definitely the performances of of Tom Heaton and James Tarkovsky, both of whom were singled out particularly as being absolutely exceptional. Um, Sticking with Heaton first, I mean, he was just generally very... Um, organised in his defence, wasn't he? And he he very much led the team from the back. But there were a couple of um, saves in particular um, that he pulled off. The the I never pronounce it Lukaku shot um, that he came out and stood big for was was pretty pretty exceptional. Um, he's he's just back to his, his amazing self, isn't he? I just I think even Nick Pope's going to struggle to to displace him now as number one. Yeah, I mean we we've said that Sean Dyche has a, a decision to make when all three goalkeepers are, are, are fit and, and match ready. Um, but there's no one taking Tom Heaton's shirt away from him at the moment. He's got that uh, goalkeeper shirt and he's keeping hold of it. He's uh, come back in, uh, taken his uh, chance with uh, with both hands, hasn't he? He's, uh, uh, really been up for it since he came back into the side, and uh, it, you know, we've we've lost. We've well, we've got a cup win uh, and a cup defeat. He's played in all the uh, Premier League games, and it's five Premier League games, three one and two drawn. So he's still undefeated in those five Premier League games he's played in. So yeah, all, all credit to him for coming back from a situation where, under different circumstances, he may have been on his way in January. I think he's admitted that himself in uh, in interviews that. Um, if if things hadn't worked out, um, it may have been a case of he'd been looking elsewhere to try and get game time. And the way he's playing, you you know, he, he could have gone anywhere and uh, and done really well. But thankfully, he's playing well and doing it for uh, for Burnley at the moment. 
Yeah, I just want to come into that as well and just say like how I think just Heaton coming back in has has just raised everybody. Um, I remember going on to the West Ham game, and all of a sudden Heaton was in the team, and you could feel the atmosphere walking to the ground within the stadium. Um, when his when his name was mentioned, that everybody seemed to have a lift, and our performances since then have been on a on a level of the team have been so much better. And I don't want to make Joe Hart a scapegoat uh, for having our poor first half of the season because I think he did do, you know, made some good saves and everything. But when you see um, Heaton coming in and the way the whole team's playing, it just really does, for me, beg a belief why he's not been in the team all season. Um, I know he had that slight injury. Um, but yeah, I, I still think if Heaton played the majority of that first half of the season, we would have got more points on the board than what than what we do now. Yeah, I think most people have accepted that now. Um, Richard, while you're on that point, do you think that it, uh, as well as, as the lift it gives the players, do you think, certainly from a United-specific point, do you think that it really helps a team away somewhere like Old Trafford that um, Tom Heaton has obviously grew up at United and he came to their youth academy? And it, it almost feels to me like he's got a point to prove there. Um I wouldn't necessarily say a point to prove. I don't think he's that type of lad who would hold a vengeance to United to, for letting him go because maybe he realised at the time he wasn't good enough. But yeah, there's definitely that you know that element of raised motivation to say yeah, I, I was at United and you know you didn't deem me good enough at the time, so I'm just going to show you what a what a good goalkeeper I am. But uh, I don't think you can just isolate his brilliant performances like that to Man United. Again, going back to that West Ham game to what I referred to before. Um, that save to Daddy, Daddy did for Mandy Cavill, where he tipped it onto the bar uh, to stop it going two-one. You know, could have been a crucial save. It, it showed what happened last night. Uh, you know, when we went two-one, there was that there was that panic stations. Um, so I think just consistently for us, he's just been an excellent performer. And I think with him being the captain of the team, uh, of the team, he's definitely a leader. The defence to me. Maybe it's just me imaginative. Uh, imagine it. Oh, sorry, let me start again. Maybe it's just me imagining it. But and Dave might have the stats, but the defense seems to be further up the pitch now. Uh, so we're not getting caught as deep uh, when we're when we're defending. Well, Dave seems to have stats on more things. Dave, do you have stats on that? This has put you on the spot. I love this. <laughs> it has put me on the spot. I, I don't have that to hand. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 there does seem to be um, a, a stronger feel to the the back five as a, a unit. Um, definitely when and and there the just seems to be uh, know, the communication from Tommy and you hear him shouting at the players get up get up you know keeping the line uh, Charlie Taylor's getting an earful from him the central defenders and they just all seem to have lifted their game they just seem to be playing as a, a unit and it's it's not any any one thing maybe that Joe Hart's done but it just seems now it's it's back to the uh, the old team the the way that Burnley have played um, well so well. The season prior, when we stayed up, and then uh, Nick Pope came into the side, and he's, he's he's a different goalkeeper to Tom Heath. He's not quite as vocal, um, but he's very commanding in his box, and that that maybe helps as well. Um, we've got three quality keepers, so we've we've got you know an embarrassment of riches there, um, and it's but it is it is Tom with the shirt, and I think you'll you'll see for the foreseeable future that'll be uh, that'll be the case as the season goes on. I'm sure an embarrassment of riches. I might name this week's episode that. That's a great saying. I don't think I've heard that before. An embarrassment of riches. No, because if I if I if I name the podcast that, everybody's going to think that I'm going on about all of Pep's multi-billion-pound players and how he's been whinging for ages. Oh my God, he has been whinging as well about how he's been priced out of the market recently and how tough it is to negotiate in the field. I'm like, yeah, do you know what, mate? I'm not feeling that sorry for you. 
Yeah, we can't afford two bob for a winger either, so... Exactly. We're about to sell Sam Vokes and get Peter Crouch in, so don't even talk to me about difficult markets, my friend. Um, I'm just going to talk very quickly on to James Tarkovsky while we're talking about defence, and, and I, I just, I'm just a little bit worried, I think, that we are going to potentially lose him at the end of this season, because since he's had that operation, it was was he, was he the hernia or was that Ben Gibson? Whichever way around it was. But since he's had his operation and he's got fit again, he really, really has um, come back to full strength. And, and his performance last night alongside Tom Heaton was fantastic. I'm a massive, massive fan of Ben Mee. I think he's a solid defender and I think he brings out the best in his defence as well. But James Tarkovsky, I'm going to say this, perhaps even more than Michael Keane did, makes Ben Mee look ordinary. And that's a big ask. Um, OK, let's, let's move away from defence and let's obviously talk about the very fantastic fact that we scored two goals we scored two goals away from home and we're suddenly finding we're creating chances and putting the ball in the back of the net and I don't think um, I could ever be Richard as happy for a beautiful 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 man such as Ashley Barnes in my life what a goal starting with Jack Cork who dispossessed was it Pereira Um, in midfield dispossessed him just passed that ball to him and it just looks like he could have burst the back of the net with that ball. I love that man. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's brilliant for us, isn't he? I think sometimes he he's very on the on the borderline of breaking the rules. Um, but I think I think we need that in our team, and I think it's brilliant. You know, no, no matter who we play, the other week against Arsenal, United, you see all these uh, United fans, all these top six fans on on uh, Twitter having a good moan about him, but I, but I think that's what we, we love about him. And I think in his time at Burnley, his quality's got better. Like you've like you, like you seen his finish um, yesterday, like you said, Natalie smashed the roof in the net. He's finished, a butt, and then alternatively, he's finished against Uddersfield where he composed himself and then tucked it away into the bottom corner. And then just going back to Jack Court dispossessing Pereira, I think that's something, going back to the first half in the season, that was that was missing in the game, that tenacity, that that fight, that urgency to try and win the ball back. And we all know Court's comfortable on the ball. Um, you know, there was different options. He chose the right one and he slid Barnes in and yeah, it was a it was a it was a great finish and a nice celebration at the Stretford end. Oh, I do love a good Ashley Barnes celebration. Just his, his little face and that just the joy on his face and the roar that comes out of him. I just, I think he's an absolutely fantastic, um, fantastic player for us. And, and I just adore him. Um, and actually what's, what's beginning to show in this good run that we're on at the moment is that we finally seem to have found a strike partnership that is performing well together and is, is, is paying dividends. Um, Dyche went with Wood and Barnes again last night. They both played very well together. Um, Wood tended to, get some criticism um, throughout the game and on social media as well about his consistently being flagged as offside. But he was onside again and he managed to get... Actually, no, he had the goal disallowed, didn't he, in the early stages as well for offside, which was hilarious. Um, but he didn't. And again, I thought he showed some real composure to, to put that ball in the back of the net. Um, Dave, those two are, are really starting to play very, very well together. Yeah, it certainly seems to be a partnership that's uh, flourishing um, as the season goes on. We were slightly worried, weren't we, about uh, Chris Wood early on in the season. He couldn't quite get his uh, mojo going, couldn't quite find the back of the net, whereas when he'd come in the previous season, um, he'd scored goals for for fun and we were hoping that was going to continue. Um, but that partnership with Ashley Barnes seems to be now the uh, the, the primary partnership, and I can't see uh, Sean Dyche looking to break that up. I think actually he's played the same team, certainly in the league matches, um, for the last three now, 
Um, and you'd be amazed if he was going to break that up other than for injuries or suspensions uh, for the next few games as well. So, yeah, that, that wooden Barnes partnership seems to be a good one. And, and then both getting on the score sheet at, uh, at Old Trafford was fantastic. What was also interesting as well was obviously Chris Wood had got the um, the second goal. He's got a, a, a good pedigree of scoring at Old Trafford. He actually got a goal there. Um, uh, playing for New Zealand back in the uh, 2012 Olympics, and he scored a goal at that end, uh, same end of the pitch uh, for New Zealand. They'd drawn one-one, uh, I think, with uh, with Egypt in the match. Is that an actual fact? Or is that something you've made up? Because I did not know this. That's an actual fact. Well, I can't take credit for it because it was it was discussed last night. Phil, Phil Bird had uh, had mentioned it, but I, I looked back and I'd uh, I found the clip on uh, on YouTube. I put post a, a link on that earlier, so maybe uh, no one never can uh, can retweet that one. Uh, so yeah, we'll do. That's that's a fantastic start, um, Richard. One of the the problems that's come out of this successful Barnes and Wood partnership is poor Sammy has been left on the bench, and we've been hit today. It is what day is it? It's Wednesday. Wednesday we're recording this. Um, we've been hit today with the news that there appears to be a pretty strong um, claim by Stoke to, to buy Sports. They want to pay nine million for him. With some <laughs> quite distressing news that Peter Crouch is is on his way in part exchange for Vox now. There are so many things wrong with that in the sense that, number one, I don't want to be selling strikers or any position um, without bringing in a replacement because we need to strengthen our side. We don't need to reduce it. But you can't blame Vox for wanting to leave if he's just literally not getting a sniff. I think with the Vox situation, I think with a lot of Burnley fans, he's been an outstanding player for us. And I'm going to say, bordering on a modern legend of the club. But I think moving moving forward, you're looking at his age, he's 29, £9 million's a big offer. I think with this deal, you've got to think with your head rather than your heart, which can sometimes be hard, and and you can't really turn it down. I think, again, progressing moving forward, he's still a threat coming off the bench when you're trying to get a goal, but ultimately I don't think he's quite Premier League level um, if, you, if you want to be a consistent Premier League team. And, but my only you know query is, yeah, we might get crouching in return, you know, some people are absolutely fuming about it, which I think they need to calm down about. You know, we're, we're not getting him for anything. Um, if he if he comes off the bench and nods one in against Southampton or against Brighton away, you know, it will quiet him down. But with that nine million, we have to reinvest it into a proper striker. Sort of talks of you know Che Adams today uh, that we've had a bid in for him. Whether that'll get accepted or not, um, fingers 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 crossed it, it does because he looks a good talent. For me, I know you mentioned it before, Natalie, to me. For eight million, I don't understand why we're not getting that bid in frosting straight away. He's guaranteed goals, yes, he's as in- injuries concerned. He's a little bit older, um, but if we're selling folks for that price, then I think one of the, one of them two has to be brought in. That's in, that's very in- imperative. Yeah, it really is. I think from what I've been able to ascertain before we started recording tonight, the striker situation is at the moment is obviously we've got uh, Wood, Barnes and Matty Vidra who are not going anywhere. Uh, Vokes is on his way out. Um, hopefully, well, I say hopefully, no, not hopefully. He hopes he's going to Stoke for £9 million. The, Not necessarily the money that we thought it was going to be because I believe that Wolves have a 25% sell-on clause, so they will get um, a chunk of that. Now, that just makes me laugh beyond words in that Wolves are so much more richer than we are and we're suddenly going to give away 25% of a selfie of a player we don't want to sell and a modern legend as Richard described him and we're not going to get paid for him but I'm, I'm going to rant about that at a later stage. Um, now that obviously if we only see Volks going out and doesn't come in that leaves us short but Burnley have been linked with um, Che Adams as, as Richard just said um, but apparently we're in a bidding war with Southampton it looks like 
shock. We're going to be outbid in that Saints can offer more money in terms of his transfer fee and more in wages. And that will come to no surprise to absolutely anybody who ever follows Burnley because we've probably offered 50p for him. Um, Now, on the flip side of that, apparently Saints can only buy Che Adams if they offload Charlie Austin. And therefore, there has been links that Charlie Austin is coming to us instead. So I think the point that I'm making, and and I don't think it's necessarily the crouch problem that I'm I'm whinging about um, in terms of him coming in. I just... My problem is is that we need to be improving this squad if we want to have any designs to stay up um, and progress in in further seasons. Reducing our strike force to lose um, Sam Vaux and replacing with Peter Crouch to me is a backward step. It's not a, a forward step, and I think that, that won't be the right thing. If we do lose Vaux, but we do manage to bring in either Austin or Che Adams, then yes, that is a progressive step. I think, as Richard quite rightly said, um, I think Charlie Austin is a more prolific striker than than. Sam Vaux's, albeit we do need to keep him fit. So I think that's the, that's the striker situation as at Wednesday night. Obviously, tomorrow is deadline day. We will see how that progresses and we will uh, keep an eye on that. Um, okay, Dave, moving back to the um, United game last night. Gosh, there's lots to talk about this week. Um, we didn't uh, keep the, we didn't keep the three points, uh, which at the time would have seen us six points clear the relegation zone. Um we kind of knew, didn't we, that it was coming when um, Hendrick fouled Jesse Lingard in the box and gave away the penalty. Um, we just kind of thought, oh, God, this is going to happen. Um, penalty. To me, it was a penalty. I do not know what Hendrick was doing. It was a very clumsy tug um, on um, uh, Jesse Lingard. However, I do have some sympathy with Deitch's concerns that suddenly you tap a player on his shoulder and his legs don't work is how we pronounced it and suddenly he falls over but actually I don't think that Lingard's um, simulation of the penalty is as bad as some of the ones I've seen in Deli Ali I'm looking at you um, I actually think I think he did actually grab hold of his shoulder he didn't just tap him he did grab hold of his shoulder and there was a natural move backwards yes he may have exaggerated but I don't think Lingard's as bad as people are making him out to be I think it was a really really ill-disciplined um, tackle by Hendrick I, I, I agree with you that it's that there's been worse ones in terms of other players who were perhaps more uh, renowned for their uh, going to ground um, you only have to look at the likes of Deli Ali and um, Mo Salah seems to be one now who uh, is getting a real reputation for it. Harry Kane's another who uh, who does tend to have this reputation of going down. And the way they do it, and you see it time after time, does beg the question, are they practising this in uh, in training? Because it just does seem to be uh, so regular that it's happening. Um, it's, it's one of those where uh, the, the, these are professional athletes um, and for them to for the legs to go, I mean, Sean Dyche was was actually quite um, uh, diplomatic, tongue in cheek. How he uh, said it in the press conference, it's quite a clever way of doing it without coming out and 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 saying uh, that it, that he was a cheat or that the referee had uh, had had, uh, had got it wrong. He sort of uh, tried to use humour and say, well, yeah, how how does that happen? And he's he's, he's tapped on the shoulder and his uh, his, his legs disappear from under him. Um, it, it, it wasn't the most theatrical, but there was a, a, a fair degree of uh, theatre in there. And uh, John Moss, again, was on hand to uh, to give that penalty. We're perhaps slightly thankful that uh, he didn't give one before that because uh, it looked like originally he pointed to the spot, the one where there was a challenge uh, by uh, Ben Mee, wasn't it, on the uh, edge of the box. 
And in the end, I think it may have been the linesman had convinced him that it, it wasn't in the box and it was uh, just outside. It was borderline. That I mean, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not convinced from uh, the replays I saw at the time whether that was definitely uh, outside or not. But maybe he was looking for the second one on the basis that he hadn't given the first one. Um, that it was going to give the one with uh, with Lingard and uh, it got United back into the game. I think if they hadn't got that penalty, they'd have struggled to get back in. The fact that they got that goal, it lifted the crowd. We hadn't seen very much, well, we hadn't heard very much noise from Old Trafford before that. Uh, we did get to hear what set a crowd of 75,000 sounds like um, after that first goal had uh, had gone in um, and then they were, they were up for it going for that uh, equaliser. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not that convinced with the levelling up argument, just on the grounds that, to me, it was a, an obvious penalty. And Richard, I know you share my view on this because we've talked about this off air about where we thought it was a, a penalty. Um, turning Obviously, that second penalty just gave them that drive and this ridiculous five minutes of stoppage time that, w- that was given to give them enough Fergie time to find the equaliser. Um, do you think that we perhaps sat too deep in that um, last 10 minutes or so and almost invited them to put that much pressure on them? Well, if well, if you go back to the last 10 minutes, um, which was in, including when the penalty was being uh, was awarded, I, I thought was defending actually really, really, really well before the penalty went in. And like you said, Natalie, for me, it was just a, a blatant penalty, just bordering on stupidity from, from Hendry. There was absolutely no need for him to put his hand there. Uh, because no, because Lingard wasn't going anywhere. I, I think Taylor had, his, had him had him covered anyway. But yeah, we 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 do drop deep. We do it in most games when we're when we're winning by only a goal. It's our way of doing things. We've not quite got the composure to win the ball back and and pass it out nicely through midfield and relieve pressure that way. The only grumble I've got, and I think I said it at the top of the year, was when the cross come in. Everybody seemed to forget to mark the bat stick, and they had a three on one overload and. I think Sanchez got, I can't remember who he got above, but he won the first header and he made a great save. And if you had more people defending the back post, Ling, uh, Lindelof might have not been able to get his shot off or, you know, he would have been under under more pressure. So, yeah, we possibly was a bit too deep, but I, un- I understand why, you know, there's tired bodies there and everything like that. So my grumbling's not too much with the last minute goal. It's more with the, it's more with the naivety of Hendrick to give the penalty away. Yeah, that's fair enough. I think you're always going to face a, a barrage of, of chances with a side like United who are under pressure anyway as the season's gone on and they are riding high in confidence and, and it's Old Trafford and they don't like to drop points at Old Trafford and they've they've dropped a lot of points this season and they are they've had by their standards a really appalling season. So you're always going to face desperate times and, and you've got skillful players who are going to put the ball in your net. It's frustrating because um, as much as we are quite happy that the penalty was a penalty, well, I certainly am, I know Dave disagrees and myself and Richard think that it was, there's no way on God's earth that that penalty is given at the other end. Um, similarly, there's an argument Lindelof's offside, um, again, very fine margins. So we've had two games back-to-back in the league where we've scored a perfectly onside goal that was flagged for offside and United have potentially scored um, an offside equaliser that's been given as onside. And we just can't seem to get on the right side, as Deitch says, of those fine margins. It does love a fine margin, doesn't it? But we can't seem to get the look of the draw. Um, That said, it happened. We got a point away at Old Trafford, which we weren't expecting. And at the end of that game, with the five games that we have now had, um, we've had three wins and two draws in the last five Premier League games. Burnley are now sitting in 15th spot, 
23 points and are now four points um, away from Cardiff, who sit in 18th. Now, we might drop a place tonight because Palace and Southampton um, both um, play tonight. And even if that's a draw, um, well, actually, if that's a draw, we'll drop down to 17th because both of them will then be on 23 points and they've both got a much better goal difference than we do. Um, so we are going to finish tonight um, at either 17th or 16th, depending on results. But we are still, we're still going to be four points clear. And I think um, if we can beat Southampton on Saturday, we then find ourselves with a bit of daylight and a little breathing room. And we, we've talked in this podcast about the need to get these points on the board before we've, we get into that running at the end of the season. Um, and with that in mind, Dave, give us some stats. Give us some head-to-heads. What can we expect from Southampton at home on Saturday? Yeah, we've got a, a, a good record against Southampton at Turf Moor. Um, we've played 28 times uh, going back, uh, 17 wins out of those 28 matches. So it's a, a pretty good record. Uh, a lot of those victories were going back in the um, in the 60s. We had, uh, uh, well, there were four wins um Five wins actually in the 30s, and then going back to the, the uh, 60s, we had a, a fairly good record. Back to more modern times that people uh, may be more likely to remember. Um, one that's again slightly before my time, but it may be one that people have a, a memory of. Uh, the late uh, 1970s was a match that was on uh, match of the day. Um, there was a three all draw. Um, Burnley uh, managed to take the lead early on. Uh, Steve Kindon grabbed a couple of goals, Terry Cochran got another. Um, but Southampton uh, pegged us back. Um, it was a three-all draw, and uh, I think David Peach was the scorer. Barry Davis was the commentator, and he said his line was something like, um, uh, "Everybody wants a, a bite of peach." Was his uh, was his line when uh, when they got the equalising goal? It was actually uh, a match of the day match that's uh, up on uh, YouTube if anyone wants to uh, to search for that one. Um, but then we had a, a long spell where we didn't play them at all. That was 1978. We didn't play them again. Uh, at Turf Moor until uh, 2006. That's under uh, Steve Cottrell. Um, and we didn't have the best times under Steve Cottrell. We played Southampton three times. Um, we had a 1-1 draw. Um, uh, Andy Gray scoring for, for Burnley in that one. Um, and then the next two games were 3-2 were uh, defeats. We'd scored twice, but managed to uh, contrive to lose both of those games. Uh, but after that, we've got a, a really good record. We've had uh, five um, matches at Turf Moor against Southampton since then. Uh, three victories and two uh, 1-1 draws. Um, Ashley Barnes was actually on the score sheet. Uh, Sean Dyche's first match at Turf Moor uh, uh, as Burnley manager uh, with Southampton uh, coming to, to Turf Moor. Uh, that was a, a 1-0 win with Ashley Barnes scoring fairly late on, as I remember in that game. is. was... Uh, uh, dispossessed uh, just on the edge of the box and uh, took a deflected uh, took a deflection in for the goal um, and then coming up more recent than that um, a memorable one with uh, Joey Barton's second coming so that was January 2017 he scored a, again another deflection it was a, a free kick took a bit of a deflection uh, and went in that was the only goal of that game for a 1-0 win and then coming right back up to date, um, last season, 27-18, we played them a uh, similar time of year, a little bit later. That was in February. Um, and Ashley Barnes scored in that one as well. So Ashley Barnes has scored in two of the last three games we've played against Southampton at Turf Moor. And he'll be looking to get on the score sheet. Again, he's now our uh, top... Pre- well, he's, he's, he's extended his lead as uh, uh, top Premier League scorer. He got his 25th Premier League goal for Burnley last night. So... He'll be looking to uh, get on the score sheet again against Southampton on Saturday. 
Yeah, I remember last season. Last season was one with did they not equalise really, really, really yeah, late? Yeah, it was the one with yeah. the uh, referee kind of getting in the way and they'd got the uh, Oh, the God, yeah, of course. Yeah. Was that the one where we were saying, was it Cork he ran into or was yeah, it Westwood? It was we were Cork. basically saying just take him down, take him down, take the yellow card, make the foul. Oh, God, I remember that game. Yeah, that was horrendous. Um, so, Richard, that's our head-to-head stats for this game. Obviously, we know what we can expect on paper. But what's your gut instinct on Saturday? We've got two sides with um, who've struggled this season so far in a relegation battle still, but who are both very, very riding high on confidence at the moment. What are you expecting? I think it's going to be a tough game, obviously, since Hassan Utel's come in, they've, they've improved vastly. But I know it's only a small sample size. The last couple of times I've watched them on, on telly, when they played West Ham at home and, and Derby at home, which is in the FA Cup, so it might not mirror it you know, fully as what a league game does. I wasn't over-impressed with them, to be honest. I thought they were bang average. So I think at Turf Moor, I think, I think we are favourites, but it's, it's going to be a tight game. But I think in the past, these are the, these are the types of the games... At, the turf when we've when we've needed a win, which we've which we've normally come on come out on top of. So I'm going to go for as a two one win. Uh, I'm going to go for Barnes and Cork to score. I like this. This is fantastic positivity. Uh, Dave, taking your head out of your stat books, what's your gut telling you? How do you think we perform and how do you think we'll do? Uh, yeah, I think we're going to build on the uh, performances we've had. Um, I think we'll, we'll take real confidence despite conceding the late goals against Manchester United. We've got to have confidence going into the game. Um, and I think I think it'll be tight, but I think we might sneak a 1-0 win. Look at this positivity brimming from none never. We're all going to win. I actually do think we're going to win as well. Um, I think that they have some frailties to Southampton that they need to address. Um, Saturday's not the time to address them. But I think as a unit and as a mental um, team, I think the Clarets are much stronger than Southampton, so I think we, we can do it. Um, Richard, I'm going to finish up with you before we leave, because you and I have talked quite a bit um, on Twitter over the last couple of weeks about the transfer window and taking aside that the game on Saturday tomorrow is quite a big day where oh, the whole club's going to be distracted with trying to get some deals over the line. We've not heard anything as yet. We've had the odd rumblings about a couple of players that we've linked to. Um, Derby's right back, who's obviously one for the future, and then this striker issue today. Um you and I have talked about what we think we need, um, looking like we're probably not going to get anything in. Um, but where, where, where's your heart telling you that we, we need to strengthen in terms of transfers and what do you think we'll do? Well, I think obviously if Folks does leave, it isn't, which, which looks likely, even if Crouch does come in, we desperately need another striker, as we alluded to before. For me, I still think we're crying out for another winger. McNeil's been an absolute breath of fresh air. I think he's took the league by storm. I think he's been fantastic. Hendricks come in there, he's done a job, um, you know, against two, you know, decent, decent, decent sides. Um, but for me, he's not the long-term fixer. You've got Brady, who's an absolute, um, he's a good player, but he's an absolute sick note at the moment. Lennon, even though he's injured, he's not good enough, in my opinion. So for me, I think, I think we do, I think we are short of a quality winger in that area. And if we're, oh, it does sound harsh, but I think if we're being greedy, I still think we need a midfielder who, who, who's got a little bit more flair and creativity than, than what we've got at the moment. So, you know, going, going back to Watford where it was nil-nil with 20 minutes to go, even though we was a little bit unlucky uh, not to win. You know, we've got nobody to really bring off the bench and, and I know these players cost money. But I think that's what we need to do now as a club to, 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 to progress is sign, you know, two or three you know, plays to go straight into the starting eleven, not off the bench. And people are probably listening to go, and, you know, we have got Defoe, who's that player player. 
And just to go back to Defoe, for me, he's the best player I've seen in a Burnley shirt when he's fit, especially the first half of last season. But unfortunately, we, we, we just can't keep him fit at the moment. So I honestly think we need three players. And I, and I said that at the start of the transfer window. But finances, we all know the score, you know, you know, it's it's difficult out there. You know, we're not a market leader. We can't just throw finances at it. But uh, yeah, that's in my opinion. I think we need that. If we don't sign them, so let's say we get to the end of tomorrow, um, Volk stays and we don't bring anybody else in, do we have enough to survive in this league? I think with the players, with the, with the current squad, we've got think, fit. I think we have just enough to stay up. I think we'll come 16th or 17th, especially with the recent performances. But, you know, you look at a few more injuries, say Westwood, who's been outstanding. If he gets an injury, you know, we're, you know, we're going to be struggling. Um, I think for me, Bardsley's been playing really well and Lawton's looking like he's not fit. If Bardsley carries on struggling with his niggle, who's going to play right back? If one, uh, say, if, you know, Cork and Tarky pick up niggles, you know, we're struggling. So I think, you know, again, you know, going going back to the winger situation, one of McNeil or Hendrick gets injured, who are you, who, who, who are you going to play out wide? So I think we with the squad we have now, yes, I think we can stay up, but going into the season, a few more injuries, a couple of suspensions, you know, for a bit longer term. And I think we could really get dragged back into it. Oh, it suddenly made me all nervous now talking about that. I wish I'd not asked that question. Uh, but that's, I think, that's where we're going to end it this week. And that's all we've got time for. We have talked about two games away in the big bad city of Manchester, one good, one bad. We've talked about transfer wars and we've talked about our hopes for the Southampton game. So our thanks for this week go to our fantastic panellist, Statman Dave, who's with us every single week to give us the lowdown and to just make me feel a bit smarter every single week. Um, and thanks to special guest Richard. Richard, it's been really good to have you on. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, like I said earlier, I've listened to it you know, for a long time. Uh, so it was nice to get a couple of me opinions, a couple of a little rant uh, vented out and hopefully I'll be back on uh, soon enough definitely we will definitely have you back on uh, listeners if there's anybody out there who wants to join Richard and, and come in and talk about the clarets on one of our podcasts do please drop us a line I know some of you already have and we'll be in touch with you in the next week or so to get you on the show but if anybody else fancies it do come on we want to hear from as many of you as possible and just to get as many opinions across um, thanks as ever to producer Matt who does a fantastic job of editing the podcast and making us all sound a lot better than we actually are thanks Matt um, but final thanks go to you of course the listeners for downloading and listening to this episode your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you. Um, keep an eye out in the coming weeks. We've got some special podcasts coming up. We've got um, the Paddy and Predator, Bernal legend, Daddy Payton, who's coming on the show. We're also going to be talking to marathon man, Scott Cunliffe, and Chris Borden from the Burnley Express is going to be joining us. Um, in the meantime, we'll be back next Monday to talk about Burnley's fantastic win at home against Southampton to propel us up the league and get us back on, well, keep us on track in our fight for survival. This has been the Non and Ever podcast. I've been Natalie Bromley. Until next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.